we're going to do a kind of a, a two-part series over the next two weeks, uh, and I'm calling it Old Paths for a New Year. Old paths for a new year. Uh, and the reason is, is because the things that we're going to talk about, they're going to be very practical things, especially next week, but they're not anything that's like new or necessarily innovative. They're, they're things that have been a part of the Christian walk uh, since the Christian walk started. And so we're going to work through those things, and hopefully they serve as good reminders and challenges and encouragement for us. The, the new year is a time that's often associated with resolutions. I don't know if anybody's got those plans or you're making new goals for the new year, but they're typically times where we're motivated to do something better in particular categories of our life that we did than, than we did last year. So I want to I be more financially uh, responsible. I want to do better in my relationships. I want to do better physically. I want to take care of myself better spiritually. Uh, you know, I want to make improvements. And, and so what I want to do is really lean into that and kind of take advantage of that uh, and, and look at ways that we can actually walk in step with those desires. Now, I have to be really really clear because this is not a series about, okay, let's just pull ourselves up by bootstraps and make these big giant promises to God so we don't disappoint him. Uh, one, that's not the gospel. Uh, no, I would never want to preach a message like that. Um, but we do that a lot, especially when we're thinking, I have to make these changes. I want to do better. We make these big promises to other people or to ourselves. What I want to do is I want to ask God, how can we better keep in step with you and where you're going and where you want us to go. So that's why I'm thinking of these old paths. And the vision or the picture that I have in my mind, when, when we go to uh, Port Allsworth, Alaska, where Tenalian Bible Camp is, the Bible camp you've heard us talk about a lot in Alaska and Bush, Alaska, there's this uh, amazing spot in that village called Tenalian Falls. And we've probably seen pictures of it or you've seen it in the video. And for the past six or seven years I've gone, we always take a hike to where these, these falls are. And um, there's this path that you just go on and you kind of walk on this path till you get to the waterfall. Now, every time I've gone, I've never once have I ever thought, you know what, I'm just going to blaze my own trail. I'm just going to, I'm going to go explore. I know there's bears and everything else that wants to kill me here because it's Alaska, but I'm just going to go on my own. It never really even dawns on me because I know there is a well-worn path that I can walk on that will take me to something beautiful. And for the next two weeks, I want to look at these well-worn paths that Christians for centuries have walked before us that will take us someplace beautiful with Jesus. But you have to take a step step in the right direction. There's a, a principle, it's not original with me, it's called the principle of the path. And the principle of the path is this, that it's direction, not intention, that leads to destination. It's direction, not intention, that leads to destination. So you don't even have to be a Jesus person or a Bible person to know that this principle holds true in all aspects of life. It's the direction that you take. It's the step that you take financially, physically, emotionally, relationally. It's the step that you take, not just simply the intention that leads you to the desired destination. Let me illustrate it like this. So my friend Shannon was up here earlier. Um, if I say, 
say to Shannon, I said, Shannon, we're going to go to San Diego, man. Me and you road trip to San Diego. And he says, that's awesome. I want to go to San Diego with you. That'd be great. And he says, in fact, I got a book. I bought a book that I've been reading about road trips to San Diego. I was like, awesome. And he's like, I've been reading this book and I've been studying this book. In fact, I even got a small group together with some other guys. And we've been reading this book together on road trips to San Diego. I said, oh man, we're all set. And, and he says, you know what? Shannon, is a, he's a musician, written a couple songs. He said, you know what, man? I even wrote a song about a road trip to San Diego. And I said, man, that's great. He breaks out his guitar. We start singing a song. We even raise our hands while we sing this song about a road trip to San Diego. And so we're set. We're pumped. We go to the car. He says, hey, before, before we go, let's, let's just pray. Let's pray for our trip to San Diego. So that's the kind of thing Shannon would do. Let's pray. So we, we pray. We get in the car. We're ready to go. Our hearts are set on San Diego. And we get out to I-10 and we go east. We are never going to make it to San Diego. If we did, it'd be really weird. But so the, the idea is that it is the direction, not just simply the intention, that leads us to the destination. In Proverbs chapter 4, the, pro, the wisdom writer says this Let your eyes look straight ahead, fix your gaze directly before you, give careful thought to the paths for your feet, and be steadfast in all your ways. Do not turn to the right or the left and keep your foot from evil. What the wisdom writer is saying, it is the direction, the steps that you take, not simply the intention that get you to the destination of where you want to go. And I want to pray um, that God would just help us in these next few minutes together um, and that he would really make our steps clear in the ways that he would have us walk to follow him. So let's pray through that. Father in heaven, we love you. And God, I thank you for this moment that you give us. God, I thank you for those who are here together. And God, I thank you that you have something very specific for each and every person in this room to hear. So God, I pray that you would give us ears to hear. God, I pray that you would illuminate the scripture for us. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would move with freedom um, in this place. I pray that you would control me. I pray that I would be uh, filled and full. God, I pray that you would just guide me in, in this time. And um, God, I pray that we um, would be open to what you have for us. And God, that this would not look like a burden to us, but God, that your word um, would be freedom like it really is to us. Uh, Jesus, I always pray that you are made much of and magnified and I love you. That's in your name we pray. Amen. If you have a Bible, open to James chapter 1. We're going to be in quite a few spots. Um, and so if you take notes, this is a good Sunday for you just to be jotting down some of the addresses and some of the places in the Scripture we're going to be. Um, but James chapter 1 is a place we're going to camp for a little bit. But again, we're going to have kind of a lot of different um, places where we're going to be. If, if you've been a Christian for any matter of time, you've come to the experience and to the realization that the Christian life is difficult. It's hard. It's a, it's a, it's a struggle. Uh, in fact, Paul, the Apostle Paul, he writes about this in Romans chapter 7, something that's common to all of us. I'm going to paraphrase it. He says, there are things that I, I don't want to do, but I feel like I'm always doing it. And then there are things that I, I do want to do, but, but I, I'm not doing it. Um, and, and if you've been a Christian for any matter of time, you've had that experience. You're like, all these things I have intention to do, but I don't do them. And then there's all these things that I don't want to do. And those seem to be the things that I'm always doing. 
And if you've had that experience, you've probably had the experience that you feel like the strategies or the ways that you've tried to deal with temptation and sin and struggle, they just aren't working. And I believe that the Bible helps us with that. And that's where we're going this morning. I think that the Bible helps us to struggle well. It is true that we have failures in this life. But we are not defined by our failures. We're defined by a decisive victory that our king has won for us. And we live under the confidence that, the, that Satan's sin and death have been defeated by King Jesus. It, it, it reminds me of the story of David and Goliath. And if you're not familiar, there's a story in the Old Testament of a man named David. Uh, and he's a little shepherd boy. And um, his brothers uh, are the Israelites. And his brothers are fighting on the front lines against the Philistine army. And the Philistine army has a champion that they've put fourth named Goliath. Goliath is this big, nasty warrior. And when David rolls up on the scene, he's got some lunch for his brothers. And so he goes to drop it off. And this Goliath is snarling and cursing and taunting the Israelites. And David says, what in the world? Why are you letting him talk to you like that? And they say, well, you're just a shepherd. You don't know what you're talking about. Look at the size of that guy. And David says, enough. God's bigger than this. And so he goes out, slingshot stones, defeats Goliath, chops his head off. This is an amazing story. You should read it if you never read it. Um, And in that moment, the Israelites gained this confidence that they didn't have before to go out and pursue and chase the Philistine army. And it's when they see that this king, David, has defeated the enemy, that's the confidence that they need to move forward. And that's the kind of confidence that we have, knowing that this sin, this temptation, this enemy has already been defeated because of what God has done through Jesus. That's the confidence that we need. And now he's given us resources that we have access to where we can chase out these rival affections and desires that are at war with us, competing for our hearts and for our allegiance. The the spiritual life is one movement with two parts. It's one movement with two parts. It's a movement away from something, and it's a movement towards something. It's a movement away from something and a movement towards something. Now that we've been brought into this relationship with Christ, it's a movement away from things that would isolate us from him and a movement towards things that would stir up intimacy with him. It's a movement away from things that lead to death and separation from Jesus, and it's a movement towards life-giving things and abundant life in Jesus. And there's a word for this process that God is working out in us called sanctification, Sanctification, and that word means to be set apart or to be holy, to be other than. So it means that we're set apart from certain things and we're set apart to certain things. It's like my wife and I have rings, so I am set apart from other women and I'm set apart to her. She's set apart from other men. She's set apart to me. Theologians, they have two words for the movements of sanctification. In fact, old paths, these are things that, these are terms that Puritans uh, came up with. And, 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 and mortification is a putting to death of old things, the old things that lead to death. A mortification, I put those things to death. And then there's vivification, I'm bringing to life of things that actually give life or bring life. Uh, an illustration that's used a lot in this is, is gardening. I'm not a gardener, but I, I think I understand this concept. If you want a fruitful garden, if you want a good garden, you need to pull out the things that choke up life. So you pull weeds out of your garden because they choke out life. And I want to plant seeds because they 
bring life to the garden. If I want to cultivate a healthy garden, there needs to be a pulling out of things that lead to death and a planting of things that bring life. Paul understands this, so when he writes a letter to a young man named Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22, he says this. He says, Timothy, flee the evil desires of youth. Flee the evil desires of youth. He's talking about things that are normally associated with immaturity or young people. So like a, like a sexual immorality or if you lose your temper or if you gossip. He's talking about like just flee all those immature things and pursue. So a moving away from and move towards righteousness and faith. And love, a life of self-sacrificing, peace, shalom, a wholeness, along with those who call on the Lord of a pure heart. So do this, Timothy, in community with other saints. Now again, I have to pause here because as we get into this, we have to be really careful that we don't only think about this in terms of our effort. Because what the Bible teaches us is that God has put within us his spirit and so that he fights with us and empowers us in this movement. Again, this is not a message on like, hey, you just need to get out there and do better. This is, this is that God, we're working with God, fighting with God. The, the grace of God, the unmerited favor of God, it has freed us from earning the approval and the acceptance of God and it motivates our effort to walk in the ways that God has prescribed to us to live according to his way. All right, so how do I do this well? What do I run from? What do I move away from? The Bible tells us that our enemy's goal is to get us to sin, to rebel against our king, and to be isolated from our enjoyment of life, to steal life. When Jesus was talking about saying, he says, he's a thief. He's come to steal and destroy to dishonor your king by deceiving you. That's the goal of the enemy. That's his strategy. And he can do this because he knows how you are wired. He knows how you are made up. He knows that you are mind, affections, and will. Your mind, affections, and will. We all have a particular wiring, and the enemy knows that. So he gets us to sin by soliciting thoughts to the mind and stir up the, stir up the affections of our heart, and we enact a will. We take a step. We sin. We willfully take a step away from our king. And the moment that he solicits thoughts to stir up affections is called temptation. James chapter 1. You should have your Bibles open there. James chapter 1, verse 14. James describes this process. Listen to how he describes it. He says, each person is tempted when, when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. And then after the desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Luring the mind's attention, enticing is stirring up the affection. The enemy understands the battle of the mind. And here's why. Because what you think about is what you care about. And what you care about is what you'll chase. What you think about is what you'll care about. And what you care about is what you'll chase. So the question is, what do you entertain in your mind? What do you allow in that shapes your thinking. Whatever a sponge soaks in will be wrung out when it's squeezed. What does your mind soak in? What you think about determines who you think you are and what you'll love and what you'll move towards. And so the enemy solicits the mind to engage affections, to enact the will, 
so that we will step to a place that we were never meant to be. And this happens to every single one of us. First John says, he who, does, who says he does not sin is a liar and the truth is not in him. Meaning it is the height of ignorance to think you are immune to this. And so the best self-knowledge that you can have is how does the enemy get me? Each one is lured and enticed by his own desire, meaning they are custom made for you. James uses that term lure. It's a, it's a fishing term. If you ask my dad, do you like to fish? And he'll say, I like three fish better. Two fish, three. Yeah, I come by it honestly. So you present a lure, why? To get the fish's attention. And, and I don't know how many of you in here fish, but if you're bass fishing, you might have like a, a, a plastic frog and you throw that frog out there. And what are you hoping happens? You're hoping that the frog will see it and that there's something in its mind that triggers, that stirs up an affection that enacts a will that drags it to death. Now, there might be some other fish or like a frog. Seriously, that's gross. What's with you? But they'll see something that comes by and they're like, ooh, shiny. There is something that's custom tailored to you. So don't be blind to it. What thoughts solicit your mind, stir your affection, enact your will? Be a student of yourself. Because what you need to know about yourself is what is the place of my temptation? What is the place of my temptation? And then what do we do when we recognize that? Matthew chapter 26, verse 41, there's a moment where Jesus is with his followers in the garden and he says something very specific to them. He says, watch and pray so that you do not enter into temptation. Now listen, look, listen, it's very important. Listen where Jesus is drawing the line. He says, don't even enter in. Romans 8, Paul says, to set the mind on the flesh is death. He's locating it in the mind. He says you have to fight the battle in your mind. If temptation, where the mind is solicited, leads to sin, then draw the line ahead of temptation and put the fight there. This is my kind of struggle with accountability groups sometimes. Because they usually, the line there is usually after the place of failure. You get together in your small group, your RC, and you say, well, okay, well, how was it this week? Or like, well, you know, Thursday was pretty rough. Wednesday wasn't really good either. And Monday was a disaster. Like, yeah, I get it. That's bad. Sorry, man. Let's just pray and then we'll leave. We all, we all kind of struggle. But, but don't put the battle line back there after the failure. Put it up front. And when the thought first hits you, when the mind is first solicited, you call up those people who are in your life. And you're like, look, something right now is fighting for my affection. And you got to help me. You got to talk me out of it. You got to come get me. I know it leads to death. Jesus says, if temptation starts here and it leads to death, he says, don't even enter in. Watch and pray. So what do you entertain with your mind. On, on, on my phone, I've got an iPhone, and on my phone there's a little kind of thing, there's a setting, or I don't know what it is. It's a little thing, but it tells me, uh, it's a technical term, little thing. Um, it tells me how long I've spent on my phone and where I've spent time on my phone, what apps I've been using. It tells me like all the kind of usage that I've had on my phone. And I can look at that and it's fairly convicting. Now what if you took that inventory of your life if you looked at your time, where do I spend my time? What am I allowing my mind to soak in? What am, I, what, am I, what am I meditating on? You're like, well, I don't really meditate. Yes, you do. 
What do you think about over and over and over and over again? What thoughts roll around in your head consistently? What do you freely just let roam around in your mind? Because what you focus your attention on will stir up your affection and it will run your life. Watch and guard the mind. So how does the enemy get you? Because when you realize what it is, you eliminate that moment and you pray that you enter not into temptation. Now, for some of you, it means that there are places that you just don't get to go to anymore. And you're like, wow, you know, every time I go there, I'm a, I'm a witness, I'm a light, I'm a light in that place. No, you're not. Because you go there and the sights and the sounds and the smells and the atmosphere stirs up something in your mind that lights up an affection that makes you step to a place that you don't want to be. It might mean for some of you, there's people that you can't spend time with anymore. You're like, well, you know, I want to be with them. They're on a journey of faith. And when I'm with them, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a witness. I'm a testament to them. They're like, no, you're not. Because when you're with them, you end up doing something even more stupid than what they're doing. There, there might be places online. There might be entertainment things that you just don't get to go to, that you just don't watch anymore. There might be some restrictions on, on social media. And this is not a message against social media or internet or TV or anything like that. But it could be that those things, they stir up in you thoughts that lead to affections that take you to a place and make you take a step away that you don't ever re- want to step. In, in Proverbs chapter 5, the father is speaking to his son. And he's speaking about the adulterous woman. And he says, look, she lives at this address. Don't go anywhere near her door. In fact, stay off the street. In fact, don't even go to the neighborhood where she's at. Don't go near it because it leads to death. My, in my own life, I'll just use me as an example. For my, my Instagram feed is particularly boring. I've got a dude who restores Broncos that I look at and a hunting guy who's weird and some other stuff. It's just not all that great. But for me, I'll look at it and then I'll start to have these thoughts of like, I want that. In fact, I should have that. And if anybody appreciated me as much as I appreciate me, they'd get that for me. I don't have anything that's great like that. I need that. I have to have that. I, sh- I should have that. And I'll find myself, my, my brain, my mind, it just starts to get my heart all messed up. And, a, and, and, and it moves me towards taking a, a step and having a, having a mindset that's just not healthy. So for me, I was like, I, I should not have this app on here. This should not be something that I, I, I go to. The, the, the guys that I, I work with, we make decisions about what kind of internet access, uh, if any, that our phone would have. Because for us... Uh, there are just things on there we, shouldn't, we just shouldn't have access to. It makes it super annoying when we're out and we have to like find something. We're like, hey, does anybody know how to get them? No, our internet doesn't work. It's also very helpful for me because I like to make up a lot of facts about things and they can't fact check. So I just say it and they believe it. So I really appreciate that. Now listen, none of these things are necessarily evil in and of themselves, but I get evil when I get near them. You understand the difference? So you have to be honest with yourself. Now, I know you can sit there and be like, this sounds a lot like legalism. Legalism says no one can go to these places or do these things. Wisdom says I can't go to these places and do these things. Okay, so what about when the battle's in my mind? 
when I'm all alone. Like, I don't have a phone, I don't have a TV, I don't have internet, I don't have another person, I don't have any of these things. That, like, what about when the battle is, is just up here? Like, it's just, I just got these lust thoughts, I just got this insecurity, I got coveting, I got greed, I got hatred. It's just in my mind. There's nothing that's necessarily triggering it. It's just there. I'm just kind of, like, downloaded with it. Like, how do I fight when the battle is up here? Well, James helps us, and what he does is he gives us two things. He says, first, look at what happens in the end. Meaning, like, look down the road where that temptation takes you. Because temptation never tells you where sin will take you. Your temptation never tells you where your sin will take you. When the serpent tempted Eve in Genesis, he told her about the knowledge that she'd gained, but he never told her about the shame. He, he said, look, you, you, you'll have that. that there'll be experience. But he didn't, tell, he, said, he didn't say, look, you're going to be hiding in a bush with Adam from God. And some of you, you've experienced knowledge of things in this life, and you got a lot more shame than you bargained for. So James says, don't be deceived. Because lust gives birth to sin, and sin, when it grows up, it leads to death. So James says, look down the road. Look where that ends up, and ask yourself, is that really where I want to be? If you could see the moment of your shame, if you could see the moment of your biggest regret, and some of you are a little bit older in the room, and you've got some of those moments. You're thinking about them even right now. And if you could have seen that regret, if you could have seen that shame before the moment of your disobedience, that temptation has way less appeal, doesn't it? Look down the road to see where temptation and sin takes you. The other thing that James gives us is to look up the road. Look the other direction. So look down the road. See, where does that sin, where's that temptation ultimately going to take me? But then, then he says, look up the road in the other direction. If temptation has a particular power over your life, ask yourself, what is giving it that power? And go back to that source and fight it right there. There's an author uh, and researcher named Patrick Carnes, and he's written a lot of books on addiction, particularly sexual addiction. In fact, he's based here in Wickenburg. And he uh, was kind of researching and asking the question, well, why is it that people get addicted? And he had all these kind of people that he had talked to and interviewed. And, and what he came up with is, is that addiction at its root comes from the feeling of being unloved and unlovable. This, this is just what he found. That, that, that they could trace back the brokenness and the ache that's so deep that when something came along that promised that it would fill that spot, they would go for it. And what was really interesting is that he would say, even though people would learn over time that whatever the drink, whatever the drug, whatever the sexual experience was, that it wouldn't fill that void. It wouldn't fill whatever that feeling was, but it, it was still something that would, that, that would pacify it for a little bit. And, and even though they knew it was destroyed, even though they knew that it, that it was deadly and many times, they still would go after that. And some of you, some of you, the, the reason that you're, you're stuck in these struggles and in these failures is because there's a feeling that you have that God couldn't possibly love you. That there's things that you've done that God couldn't possibly want to be near you. Couldn't possibly want to be with you. How do I fight against that? Again, I fight against that lie in my mind. James says, do not, he, he says, do not be deceived, dear brothers. Now, he doesn't say, don't be deceived. Pornography is destructive. 
He doesn't say, do not be deceived, drunkenness leads to ruin. He does not say, do not be deceived, insecure thoughts or comparing yourself to other people will put you in a prison. He doesn't point to the particular expression of your sin. He says, do not be deceived. Every good and perfect gift comes from above, from your Father. He says, the root of your problem is that you forget that your God is a perfect Father. I know even that imagery for some of you is really broken. You're like, that doesn't really help me at all, thinking about God as Father. And I hate that. But if you could imagine, if you could imagine the very best version of Father, like in your mind, the picture of what the ultimate Father would be. And I want to tell you that God is infinitely better than that version of Father. And if you think that God can't meet your needs because you have a bad view of him as father, you will waste a lot of your years chasing things and people that will always leave you wanting more. You have to fight that battle in your mind. I've talked about this before in here, but when my uh, oldest daughter was born, Evie, um, when she was born, she had some respiratory issues. And so they took her right from the delivery room and they took her to this kind of NICU thing and they started putting all these tubes down in her throat and they put this kind of plastic hood thing over her for oxygen and I just remember standing over this little box and seeing this little human that I have known for about two hours and having this incredibly intense feeling thinking I would do anything for her I'd do anything for her and, and I, I wish there was a way right now that I could communicate to her somehow how intense and how powerful my love is for her I wish that there was a way that I could make her understand what was happening in my heart right now for her. And what God is saying is, what is it going to take for you to believe that about me towards you? Because God is a way better dad than I'll ever be. And some of you, you have fear and doubts about God because you believe the same lie that Eve did that God doesn't have your best interest in mind. So you have to find love and acceptance and joy and purpose and satisfaction somewhere else. Don't believe the lie. Fight it there at its first impulse in the mind. It's what David did. In Psalm 42, and if you've never read the Psalms, uh, there are these amazing writings. It's like reading journals, and it, it really does show in a beautiful way the human experience and how the human experience inter- interacts with, with, with God. But so, David, in Psalm 42, he says this, Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? You get the stress of what David's feeling. But then he makes a turn. He says, Put your hope in God. For I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you. David lets his feelings in the car, but he doesn't let them drive. You see? And David saw his feelings and where they were going. And so he goes to war against them and he preaches to his soul. He takes those thoughts captive. He holds them against the truth of scripture and he wages war on them. And David shouts the goodness of God until the voice of doubt is silenced in his life. You see, when we pursue intimacy with God, that's the best way to fight temptation. Stir up affection for him. Be reminded of the goodness of who he is, the beauty of who he is. When you have things like lust and insecurity and pride and anger in your heart, how do you dislodge those things? How do you dislodge them? You replace them with a more beautiful thing. You replace them with a more beautiful thing. 
How did Romeo get rid of Rosalind? Anybody, you even remember Rosalind? Anybody you read Romeo and Juliet? Or at least seen the movie with Claire Danes and Leonardo DiCaprio? I was actually watching it last night. I had it up on my computer. I was watching YouTube, Romeo and Juliet, and then the football uh, game at the same time. It was a very weird space, but I, I kind of liked it. So where's, where, where's that story start? R- Romeo is all caught up about Rosalind. He's like, I don't want to live with Rosalind. I love Rosalind so much. Life is horrible without her. And if you know the story, if you know the story of Romeo and Juliet, Benvolio comes to him and he's like, dude, look, we're going to go to a party tonight. And at this party, there's going to be all kinds of girls that are like way better than Rosalind. And, and that's kind of a rough translation, but that's pretty much what he says. So how does Romeo respond to that? He says to Benvolio, he says, the all-seeing sun has ne'er seen her match since first the world began. Whoa, Romeo, come on, man. He's got it bad for Rosalind. He says, nothing can cure my addiction to Rosalind. And then he goes to the party. And then he sees Juliet. And then he sneaks into her yard. Kind of creepy. And he says, but soft. What light through yonder window breaks. It is the east, and Juliet is the sun. Arise, fair sun, and kill the envious moon, which is already sick and pale with grief, that thou, her maid, art far more fair than she. Rosalind who? (laughs) How do I make war on sin? I fight the battle in my mind. And the best way to fight it is to pursue life and that which gives true life and abundant life. Set in your heart a new affection. Set your love and attention on Jesus. Okay. So how do we do that? The same wiring that works over here works with this. Load your mind with thoughts about God. Because what you think about will be what you care about. And what you care about will be what you chase. So what do you put in your mind? Paul helps us in Colossians chapter 3. He gives us the path, the old worn path. He says, since then you've been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, Paul says. Set your mind on things above. Romans chapter 12, be transformed by the renewing of your what, church? Your mind. How do I break from being shaped by the world? How do I break from being shaped by these earthly things, by the renewing of my mind? How am I transformed to being more like Jesus? It starts in my mind. Ephesians chapter 4, lay aside the old self and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Philippians chapter 4, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, Paul says, think about such things. Again, Romans chapter 8, the mind that is set on flesh is death, but the mind that is set on spirit is life and peace. Where your mind sits determines your mindset. Where your mind sits determines your mind set. If my mind sits in things that are evil, in things of the flesh, in things of the world, that'll be my mindset. If my mind sits 
on whatsoever is pure, whatsoever is lovely, whatsoever is right, whatsoever is excellent, whatsoever is praiseworthy. If my mind sits there, that will be my mind set. Load your mind with the truths of God and the passion for God burns off the fuel of the truth of God. Psalm chapter 1 says, blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord. Psalm 19 says that the law of the Lord is perfect. Psalm 119, they said, how do I keep my way pure? Living according to the word. How do I do that? And we're going to talk next week really practically about this. But just as we close, um, you need to have consistency and creativity. Have a time and a place and a plan for meeting with God. And make it a priority. And you say, man, you don't understand. My day is so jammed. My day is so packed. I don't have... Make it a priority. And you'll be glad that you did. And for some of you, it could be reading, it could be journaling, prayer. It might be times of solitude or times of meditation. Use your imagination. If you, if you do have a phone and you haven't already, download the YouVersion Bible app. In fact, there's a part of that app. It's really great. It has different reading plans. It'll give you the verse of the day. There's even a part of this app where you press a button and it will read the Bible to you. This dude with an amazing voice will read to you the scripture. So it's really eliminating excuses for you. Go on walks with him. You see, your life already has a path. You already have things that you do in the normal rhythm of your life. All I'm just saying is that take God with you to those places. Now, I know for some of you, and with this we close, you've, you're like, look, I've, I've done all that stuff, but my heart still feels cold. I've had the quiet time. I've done the journal thing. I try to, I try to pray. There's the second piece. It is the spirit that brings life and peace. And so your prayer is, God, by your spirit, incline my heart. Because the promise of the scriptures is that the spirit of truth in you to move you. And when you sit with the word of God, pray and ask God to reveal to you the amazing truths about him. Ask God by his spirit to take his words and turn them into affections for him in your heart and in your mind. Load your head with scripture and then beg the spirit to light the fire of your heart with the truth of God. Fill your mind with the thought of God so that your affection will be stirred by him so that you can keep and step with him. And if we do, we can be the kind of people that God has called us to be. Let's pray and ask him to help us with this. Father in heaven, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you for the instruction. God, I thank you for the encouragement. God, I thank you for the guidance. God, I do thank you that your yoke is easy. And so God, um, I pray for those in the room who just feel defeated. And God, I, I pray that even just right now, God, that they would know that you're for them and not against them. And God, that your desire for them um, is not destruction. God, your desire for them is, is life and to prosper in you and to be who you've called them to be and made them to be. And so God, I pray that we would be a people, God, who are intent on taking the right steps, the right direction. Um, God, that we would enjoy life with you. Jesus, we love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.